0: Hey, how's everybody doing? Good to hear. Uh, hey, you know what we're going to talk about today, church? Politics. Does that sound like fun? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's get uncomfortable, y'all. You want to get uncomfortable? Yeah. Everybody's like, no, just stop, <laughs> stop. You know, Advent, Advent is such a political time. It's, it's like one of these reasons why we can't say like, the, the scriptures or uh, Christianity and politics don't mix, because Advent is all about that. So, I'm going to hit that up a little bit, but I'm going to talk about why this is good news. Because it is good news, and there's a lot of joy here. All right? We're going to find that today. So, let's read Daniel 7 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority. And glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is um, Daniel is a prophet. Who knows Daniel? Who's heard of Daniel? Most Okay, good. A good chunk of us. This is good news. Alright, so, so Daniel's a prophet. Daniel is uh, part of Israel at a time when Israel's been exiled and are now under the reign of the Babylonian Empire. Except Daniel is a nobleman. So Daniel is actually in the king's court. He's serving with the king of Babylon. And so he has this, this position of privilege. He serves with a few other guys. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys know them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so he's serving with them. And then all of a sudden, Daniel starts having these dreams. Y'all, I don't know if we can call these dreams. They're like mushroom trips or something. It was crazy. Like well, The dreams that this man is having are something else. And one of the dreams he has are about the Messiah coming. And he has this dream that the Messiah is coming, and the Messiah is coming, like it says, with, with given authority and glory and sovereign power, right? So, so the, king, uh, of the king that Daniel's serving says, You know, Daniel, what's up? What's going on? And Daniel goes, Listen, right now you're in charge but a messiah is coming and this messiah is coming with glory and with power and your time is up okay your time's going to be up very soon and i love that this idea of glory because we can jump to isaiah 11 to get a better idea what the glory of the messiah is going to look like and the glory of the messiah in isaiah 11 says that messiah is going to swoop down and plunder one nation or um, swoop down on one nation and plunder another. The Messiah is going to send scorching wind. It's going to dry up rivers. It's going to subdue nations, right? The Messiah is a scary individual, right? A little bit. That's some glory right there. There's a lot of power in that glory. And so all the people are like, well, this is great. Right now we're being subdued, and this is not good. But pretty soon there's going to be Messiah comes with a ton of power, and it's going to be amazing. And then they wait 500 years. 500 years. Y'all ever... Um, You know how this country's sort of divided right now? (laughs) Yeah, sort of, just a little bit. Um, Imagine somebody was like, hey, this country's going to be united again, but it's just going to happen in 500 years. Sort of feels that way right now, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. That's what's going on. So they're waiting and they're waiting. And what kind of glory are they waiting for? The glory of the Messiah is is a a specific kind of glory. It is a glory that equals power, right? It's a glory that equals retribution. It's a glory that equals uh, the the powerful having an upper hand. It's a kind of glory uh, that, that means that the people of privilege remain in privilege. And it's a glory that provokes fear in others, Right? That's the kind of glory that the Messiah is coming with. This is a powerful glory. This is good news. It's about time Israel gets the upper hand, honestly. And so after 500 years, they wait, and that glory comes. It's amazing, except it comes through the Roman Empire. That's how it comes. It comes through the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire is there 500 years later. Oh, the Roman Empire. I talk about it every Advent, and I was like, are people going to be bored hearing this? And the answer is kind of yes for some of you. But others of you, we have to talk about the Roman Empire during Advent. It's going to feel new. And so the Roman Empire, when they took over people, they talked about a Lord and God as well. And that Lord and God was Caesar, okay? And so you have one emperor, you have one uh, Caesar, and this Caesar had a a chorus that would follow him around. And this is what the chorus would sing. They would sing, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive all glory, honor, and all power. Sounds like songs we sing here sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, they were singing that to the Caesar. Interesting, right? Uh, one Caesar would start the, the Olympia. You know, the Olympics started there, right? Would start the, every Olympiad and would ask all the kings of the provinces of the empire to stand up. And those kings of the provinces would stand and the ones that weren't doing a very good job were killed right there at the beginning. That was the opening ceremony. Changed a lot, right? Yeah, we're not killing people in the opening ceremonies anymore. It's a good thing. Um, but that's what, the, that's what the Roman Empire did uh, with the Olympiads, right? Uh, there was a bunch of power here, a bunch of glory, and the Caesar was filled with glory. Um, the, the, you had to um, pledge your, your, your allegiance to the Caesar. And the way that you would do that uh, is you would do that by, by saying Caesar is Lord. Caesar is your Lord, your God, right? And so say you're a farmer and you need to sell your, your, your wares. Let's say it's corn or something like that. And you got to sell your corn. Well, the only way you could actually do that was by pledging your loyalty to Caesar, who is your Lord and your God. So if you were of the Jewish tradition, what you would do is you were like, all right, got to pledge my loyalty to the Caesar so I can sell my stuff, so my family can survive. But they had this like, little backdoor way of talking about it. And so they would say, I'm actually pledging my loyalty to the beast. Isn't that interesting? Familiar language, Right. And then once you pledged your loyalty, before you could actually sell anything, you know what you had to do? You had to light incense for the Caesar. And you know what that was called? That was called the mark. That was called the mark. Interesting, interesting little tire right here. How many people have heard of the mark of the beast? Right? But I digress, because really, no, we're not going to talk about Revelation anymore today. <laughs> we could, though. But I won't. <laughs> so so there's, this, there's this empire glory right? This empire glory that's here. And again, it is glory that is, is, uh, creates an upper hand. It creates victory. It creates fear, right? It's this kind of glory. It's just happening through the empire and not through a messiah just yet, okay? And here's how peace is kept. Peace is kept in this empire. Glory is kept in this empire through the sword. It's kept through force, so if you were to go against the Caesar, and Caesar was not your lord or a god, there was a force involved, and you would die. Now, the most popular way for you to die during the Roman times—everybody knows the answer to this. How would you die? It's the most obvious answer: crucifixion. crucifixion. Thank you. You would die on a cross. That's the most. That's that's how. That's what they would do to the people that threatened the Roman Empire. That threatened the glory of the empire. Right. That's what happened. So then Jesus shows up. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And nobody knows it. Nobody knows it. Why does nobody know it? What kind of glory does Jesus show up in? Jesus doesn't show up with the upper hand, with victory. Jesus doesn't show up with fear. Jesus doesn't show up in such a way uh, where revenge comes to those who have been hurtful to you in the past. Like That's not how Jesus shows up. So they completely and utterly miss it. And in Advent season, what we're doing is we're practicing the waiting again for the Messiah. That's what we're practicing every Advent season. And I'm going to say that I think we miss the coming of the Messiah as well. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, I think we prefer the empire glory. The empire glory to the Messiah glory. I think Christianity has sort of warped the idea of glory, warped the idea of what the Messiah looks like, and we've become quite comfortable with empire glory. I think that's the truth of the matter. Now why, how have we been comfortable with empire glory? Because at the end of the day, we like having the upper hand. We like having victory. And in some cases, we even like imposing fear upon others. Now, what I'm going to say next is going to bother some of you. How? How do we impose empire glory? I think as Christians, I think part of the way we impose empire glory is through our Bibles. It's through our Bibles. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, first off, you need to understand very, very clearly that I believe the Bible to be the inspired word of God. Absolutely. That does not change. It does not go away. Christianity without our scriptures is no Christianity at all. But, and it's a big but, y'all, but what we do is we see, the, we see our scriptures not through the lens of Jesus Christ, but we often see our scriptures through the lens of the empire. See, Jesus Christ, if we're viewing our scriptures through Jesus Christ, that's going to give us what we need in order to see what Messiah glory looks like, and yet we don't like to do that because Messiah glory doesn't give us very much power. You see, we used to worship the Messiah in that sense, and about 400 years ago, the modern age came along. You had people like Francis Bacon and Descartes. How many people took their Western history? <laughs> Yeah. All right. You have those kind of people. They say, oh, you know what? Right now, everything, the power that you want comes through intellect and reason. That's where it comes from. And so what you do is you stop worshiping the Messiah, Jesus, and you start saying, well, intellect and reason can be found in my scriptures. And that's what's going to keep me powerful. That's what's going to do it. And so we are a country, a country that um, we have a constitution, we have laws, we have statutes. And so all of a sudden, what does our Bible become? Our Bible becomes a constitution with laws and statutes. That is how we wield our power. And so what we do is we say things like, well, the Bible says, and usually when we say the Bible says, it's not to include somebody. Let's just be honest, right? Usually when we say that, it's because we're telling somebody that they don't have the same power that we have. That they're, And we use this phrase a lot. They're living in sin, right? And now listen, we're all living in sin. And if you say you're not, you're lying, which means you're living in sin. But, here's the thing. Like I, I say it all, guys, I say that all the time. i waiting for you just to stop laughing when I say that. It's so funny. But, um, but uh, the truth of the matter is we're all living in that place, right? But what we do is we say that in order to increase our power over others. Well, the Bible says... Right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, the word was with God. Jesus is the word. And at some point, we stopped worshiping the word and we started worshiping words. And that is called bibliolatry. Bibliolatry. Where we have forsaken Jesus. We've taken Jesus out of the picture and we've used our Bible to create power. Now I'm going to say something even more controversial that won't be fun. Um, and I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to say that we have picked in American Christianity today, we have picked two issues that work to keep people in power. LGBTQIA inclusion and abortion. I'm not asking where you stand on those things, but I'm telling you, most of the time in American Christianity, most of the time, American Christianity is run by straight, white, cis men. Right? You feel that a little bit? And in that case, when we talk about LGBTQIA inclusion or abortion, we can be against those things. I can be against those things. I'll speak for all straight, cis, white men. I can speak (laughs) against those things because I have nothing I have to give up. I can stay in power and be against those things, okay? I don't have anything that I have to do on my end to lose my privilege. All I have to do is raise my Bible up in the air and say, the Bible says, and I can exclude you without having to do any work on myself. That is why this, these are the issues of the day. We don't change anything until we start to say, like, "Wait a second, why are we using the word, the inspired word of God, to create empire glory? Why are we doing that? It only changes when we start to recognize the kind of glory the Messiah comes with. That's when it changes. Y'all, we say all the time in this church, we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity. Y'all are sick of me saying it. And the best part is, when you email me, you'll say, I'm emailing you about the 500 years of Christianity. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, But here's the thing. If we are going to usher in the next 500 years of Christianity, we need to stop using our scripture as a power-wielding sword because that is Roman Empire work. That is not Jesus' work. Okay? So how do we fix that? How do we change that? Well, the beauty of this is during Advent season... During Advent season, we get glimpses of what Messiah glory is going to look like. And Messiah glory, that's yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> what does Messiah glory look like? <sighs> well, Messiah glory doesn't look like power or retribution. It doesn't look like having the upper hand. It doesn't look like giving fear. Right? Messiah glory does this. I'm going to read this for you. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, now I want to stop right there for a minute. Uh, You all know what the Greek word for consider is? It's thymos. You know what thymos means? Thymos doesn't mean consider. This is a bad translation. Thymos means wrath. Joseph is feeling wrath. Why is Joseph feeling wrath? Because his fiancé came up and was like, I'm pregnant. And he was like, but it's not by me. And she's like, I know it's by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And he's like, no, it's not. That's a lie upon lie upon lie. Stop that. That's why he is feeling Thymos feeling wrath. What's he considering? The thing that we forget about, about Joseph is that he was an incredibly observant Jew. He was an incredibly good God-fearing man and remained that way. And as an incredibly good God-fearing man, the thing that you would consider is this. You would consider it because it's in Deuteronomy 22 and it says, if a man happens to meet in a town, uh, in a, town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. So what is it that Joseph's considering? He's considering that me, I need to follow the law of God. She's pregnant. I don't know who this man is, but I know she's pregnant and we need to stone her to death. That's what the law tells me to do. That's kind of heavy. It's a heavy thing to consider. Now, thank God for the Holy Spirit, which not only impregnates, but convicts. (laughs) Um, And the Holy Spirit shows up to Joseph. What does the Holy Spirit do? says, Joseph, this is, this is what God's ordaining. And so for all of us, all of us, empire glory means keeping power over that situation. Every single one of us, if we put ourselves in that shoes, we go, but, but, but if I accept this, I'm losing, literally losing my religion, right? I'm not following the law. I'm going to be ostracized. The culture's going to go against me. My family's going to go against me. This is absurd. And then Joseph sees Messiah glory in it. Messiah glory is not a glory that wields power, it's a glory that gives power where power is needed. It's to someone like Mary, considered a 2nd class citizen, How does he give that power? Well, he has to go to Bethlehem for the census. Now, if you're a second-class citizen in in, in that time, uh, you don't have to go to your hometown for the census because you're not included in that. Mary would not have been included in that. And if that's the case, then Mary should have stayed at home. But Mary goes with Joseph. Why does she go with Joseph? Because I think, you know, know, I'm not sure, but is it possible that there are other God-fearing men with empire glory who are going to stone Mary should Joseph leave on his own? I don't know. I'm wondering. He takes risks. He takes risks to give up some of his own power, to give power to Mary, and to allow the Son of Man to come to this place. That is Messiah glory. That is different than empire glory. And here's what he does, and this is the biggest deal to me, because there's practical ways we bring about Messiah glory. All right, I love what Sarah New did last week. Last week, Sarah New said, you know what, when when we, we bring glory, right, by just asking ourselves, who's not in the room that needs to be in the room? Remember when she said that for those of us who were here last week? Right? That's a great thing to ask. We should keep asking ourselves it. You know what I think we need to do to bring Messiah glory in this Advent season? It's believing someone when they tell us what's going on in their lives. It's belief. My friend uh, and pastor, Carlos Rodriguez, he gets a little bit more, he goes a little bit further with it. He says, bringing the glory of Jesus Christ means believing a woman when she talks about her sex life. That's a big deal. Belief is how we bring Messiah glory. How many times has someone said to us, you know, this is what's happened to me in my life, and we go, I don't know if I believe that. It's happening at the highest rungs of our society. There are women coming forward over and over again, saying, hey, I have been a victim, and we say, nope, under the rug. Messiah glory means we believe. Who do we need to believe? I always tell the story of my wife, my wife who's South Asian. The first time she said, you know what, I don't get the same stuff as other people because I'm South Asian. And I went, no, that's not true. What an idiot. Who would say something like that? But yet, that's what we do all the time. It's how we wield power over others all the time. What does it mean to believe? To believe brings Messiah glory. It gives up power for the sake of the other. There are people who tell us, thousands, even millions of people who say, hey, systems are stacked against me, and we say, no, they're not. There are people all the time who say, I've been hurt, I've been abused, I've been shamed." We say, no, you haven't. Messiah glory does the opposite. It says, I believe you. Not only I believe you, I'm with you. Not only am I with you, if I have something to give to you, I give it up to you. And that's what we see in the glory of Jesus Christ. How else? During this Advent season, bringing the glory of Jesus means advocating for families, finding safety as refugees. Bottom line, I'm going to say something that might sound shocking. Jesus was a refugee. Did y'all know that? How ironic, don't you think? But anyway, (laughs) as a refugee, we have this king named Herod. Now, King Herod uh, was one of these provincial kings, right? So uh, I talked about them before. He was also incredibly rich. He was wacky. One of the things that he did, probably the the story that I tell most often, is that when he was going to die, he said, I want it to be a national day of mourning so that when I die, I want you to kill thousands of other people so I can guarantee mourning is going to happen in this kingdom. And that's exactly what he did. When he died, thousands of other people died with him, and it was a national day of mourning. That's the kind of human being he was. And so he hears that Jesus hears that Jesus is is born, a new king is born. He thinks it's an empire king, not the Messiah kind of king, right? And so he say, he sees that, and, and so he says, "We need to kill everybody. All the boys, zero to two. And Jesus and his family, they have to flee. They have to go. They have to leave." What does it mean for us to practice Messiah glory this Advent season? It means for us, again, we give up some of our power to create equity for others in need. Equity for those who have to flee. Equity for those who don't have the same experiences that we have. And I'm happy that this Advent season, we have started this, right? You have your tags. And what we're doing is we're providing uh, you know, new furniture, new supplies, new stuff for Ruth Refuge, for arriving refugees. And what are we doing? We are simply bringing a bit of normalcy to a life that's been turned upside down. That is all we're doing. And you know what? I pray that that is just the beginning. I pray that we're just scratching the surface on this. I pray that we are consistent in not only bringing a little bit of normalcy for those whose lives have been turned upside down, but I pray that we actually start to bring sanctuary for those whose lives have been upside down. There are ways we can do that. And how do we bring equity to those whose lives have been turned upside down? You see, Jesus was a refugee. What do we do with our own? That's Messiah glory. See, Messiah glory is not about victory and fear. Messiah glory is about saying I move beyond fear to bring the equity that's needed. I move beyond victory, knowing victory doesn't get the last word, to bring a level playing field for those who are considered the children of God as well. That is Messiah glory. We have a choice. We have a choice. We get to do this. And I'm going to read it because I think it's important. We get to live this out and believe that the glory of Jesus Christ in Advent is about God identifying God's self with the marginalized and not the powerful. And it's redundant, and we say it every time, and it's as important as ever. And it's going to usher in the next 500 years of Christianity. That's what it's going to do. So are you ready to do that? Are you ready to move forward in this way? Are you ready to bring equity where there is none? Are you ready to change systems that are hurting others? Are you ready to believe someone? And not only believe, but assist in their flourishing. Are you ready? Because if you are... That is the way that our scriptures matter, right? Because our scripture is full of that. Scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ shows us that. That's good news. We don't have to do the bibliology thing. What we can do is we can say the inspired word of God shows me that glory does not look like the empire, but glory looks like a Jesus Christ who even when we think that that's not glory because he dies is resurrected and shows us that glory gets everlasting life. Mm. And if we're living that out, we're going to answer our call to live out the next 500 years, y'all. Amen.